Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Angela Henderson joining me today. Angela, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks so much, Michael. Super excited to be here today. So Angela taps into the decades worth of knowledge of how to grow a thriving enterprise and pours it into her business consulting clients. As a business consultant, she partners with startup and small businesses to grow their brands through hands-on support, ensuring foundations are laid in order to leverage growth. So I get get a funny feeling I'm going to dive into some business tactics now, but I thought we'd, we'd dive into your background if that's okay, Angela. So could you share with us where you were born and what it was like for you growing up? Sure. Yeah, no worries. So I was originally, uh, or I am originally from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So um, obviously, even though I live in Australia now, Canada is always home. So yeah, growing up was uh, amazing, you know, waking up on Christmas morning to those magical, you know, untouched snow fields, um, the icicles hanging off of the windowsills, um, the snow angels, you know, hot chocolate, everything like that. And then having some wonderful summers, camping, you know, in the tents and again, more hot chocolate, roasting marshmallows over the campfire. Um, yeah, I really, yeah, growing up in Canada was a wonderful experience from a childhood point of view. All right, cool. <clears throat> so at what point did you, because you, you mentioned in, in our sort of pre, pre-interview chat that you're, you're a blogger and you, you've also not long left full-time work as well. So it seems, it seems like you've had a, a, to undergo quite a lot of change and a lot of like, the different stresses along the way. So talk us through that. Yes. Yeah, so um, I did my high school and undergrad down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So we obviously moved down to Canada from there. Then I headed over to Australia where I completed my master's of social work. And then I headed back to the United States where I did my clinical prac in North Carolina. So my full-time job for the last 15 years has been a uh, mental health clinician and adult mental health working with people from 18 to 64 from either, you know, doing clinical assessments where I would diagnose them with schizophrenia, um, bipolar, depression, anxiety, et cetera. Um, Yeah. Or all the way through different jobs where I would work with other government agencies to help link some of our most severe um, mental health consumers with appropriate resources so that they can maintain living within the community. And so I've been working full time um, for the last eight years while I've started two of my businesses. And yeah, I guess it's just something that I'm quite conservative and I like knowing that there's a safety net. So, and I also think that by working full time, it's given me the opportunity to not go as far into debt with getting businesses up and going. It's kept my marriage stable because there hasn't been as much financial pressure on us because we've always had that steady income still coming in to meet our daily needs. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's a little bit of, I guess, more of a background from my mental health point of view. So th- there could be a lot of people that maybe were in a similar position to what you were in, like they had the, the, the job that gave them an element of stability, financial stability, the, the consistent paycheck, all those sorts of things. And then they started to, to run a business that was alongside that, whether it be a, a side gig or a hobby that they were, that they were good at maybe or, or something like that. And then they're probably thinking about taking the leap. So what was the, the major things that caused you to take your leap? 
the major leap. Yeah, as we were talking in our early discussion before the recording is that um, about 18 months ago, I suffered from my own mental illness with depression and anxiety due to workplace stressors. So for me, that was a huge wake up call to really assess my overall life you know, I mean, both at home, community and at work. Um, and also obviously the element of business and what, what changes was I going to make because the stress from my primary job wasn't worth, you know, what it was doing to everything around me. So yeah, so that I kind of made the leap finally through, through, do you know I mean, going through the depression and anxiety to say, you know what, actually, um, working on your own, making your own hours, coming up with your own policies and procedures and systems was a much better thing than working for the government where I feel like it was like a mini cult now that I'm out of it and my head's a lot clearer. You know, they kind of tell you when to check in, when you're going to eat, when you can take your holidays. Where now, again, you know, I think it's cliche and they talk about living the life of freedom, et cetera. But really, as an entrepreneur or a small business owner, you do have a lot of luxuries that I think people um, either underestimate or take for granted. What was the, the first business that you decided to start? Yeah, so my first business, um, we still have it. It's called Finley and Me, and it's an e-commerce platform initially. So we have 1,400 different baby products that we sell that ultimately encourage um, children to be creative, imaginary play, work on fine motor skill development, etc. Um, so yeah, and that's for all age groups, starting from like that baby age all the way up to about six. Um, and so yeah, th- we started that. And then I decided to add the blog as a strategy because I thought, well how what how can I tap into my audience and not obviously be pushing the hard sale all the time so I started the blog and um, over from that strategy I'm actually one of Australia's top parenting bloggers so that strategy has really paid off because the blogging has been another monetary stream that I'm able to provide from the for the business so you know again if you have a bad month selling product you still were able to make that up by getting sponsored content and things like that Ah, cool. So it's almost like you added that in and then it, it sort of grew and is the, um, the business, would you say that was above the blog, so to speak, in terms of priorities or would you say the, the blog has started to take more of a foothold? Right. So um, since obviously having the depression and anxiety, I've assessed kind of where products are and where my passion is. So Finley and me from a product side, what it, it did its purpose. I loved it at the beginning, but it's actually quite a hard competition with um, businesses in Australia like Kmart and Target who are creating these wooden toys, but undercutting and only charging $10 where one of our products would be anywhere from 40 to $60. So you're dealing with a much tougher market. You're getting more business or baby business businesses opening every day. So we've decided to actually stop selling the baby products. We'll sell out the rest of what we have for the, do you know I mean for the rest of this year? But um, the blog is taken over because of the opportunities that I'm given to review hotels, travel the world. And also just from a financial point of view, I don't have to put as much time and effort into the blog as I do going to trade fairs, uploading products, SEO optimizing them, paying for staff or third-party logistics to ship, etc. Right, so just just one of the um, <clears throat> the things that sort of caught my eye from everything that you've said so far is that it was the actual mental side of things. You think we call them breakdowns still, don't they? That the uh, mental breakdowns, the depression, the anxiety, all those sorts of things. That's what caused you to to really assess and, and look at everything that's gone on and see when you can adjust. Which that seems to be a common theme for a lot of people. Do you think do you think that has to happen for us to then sit back and reflect? Or do you think someone could at least feel that they need to reflect without 
sort of bad things from happening. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure from a lot of big entrepreneurs around the world. You know, Gary Vee, as much as I love the guy, he, he uses the word hustle quite regularly in, you know, a lot of things he does. I'm not saying that you don't have to work hard in order for your business to succeed because I've worked long hours and I think that has to happen. But do you have to be hustling to the point where you burn out so much that you start to lose family, friends, potentially your business then is compromised. You could, you know, be bankrupt. You could you know, have, like I said, a marital separation, etc. I don't think businesses have to go that far. But until some of our top entrepreneurs around the world start talking about burnout, start talking about mechanisms or strategies that they can put in place to avoid burnout, um, I think we're going to continue to run into this problem for some time because it's just the messaging um, that is being seen, do you mean um, internationally, you could say, across the board? Yeah, I mean, just from the the people that, that I've interviewed and the people that I, I do tend to spend a lot of my time with now is there seems to be this like mesh or this almost Venn diagram of working as hard as you can and making sure that you're doing the right things because you can you can spin your wheels without really going anywhere would you be like too far in the the work hard and, and do anything <clears throat> that involves working hard then you've got people that are at the opposite end of that where like they only do the key things that they need to do that day and the rest of their time is either leisure or trying to maintain their energy levels or just keeping themselves in you know reasonably good states and they can go out and do it again but they're, they're probably too laid back in terms of the way they're doing things and that might also slow down their, their growth as well so i think that there's <clears throat> there's definitely there's definitely a sweet spot in the middle for me there's definitely like a point when okay i'm working hard like it's, it's tiring me out a little bit but that's something that i can get better at that's something that i can improve at maybe i need to spend a bit more time sleeping so that i've got more energy to then work as hard as i can so it, it does seem like there's got to be a balance to be struck for sure Absolutely. And I think every individual is going to be different. I think um, being a mom in the entrepreneur or small business space is very different to being a person, do you know I mean, who doesn't have a partner, doesn't have kids. I mean, again, you're able to prioritize things differently, you know. Um, but again, I think who, regardless of who it is, you still have a breaking point. And I think it's about being able to identify what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and when, you know, are you scheduling weekends off? Are you scheduling something during the day off? Are you like, what routine or what habit do you have in place in order to avoid burnout? Uh, you know, I just came back, we had a long holiday or a long weekend here in Australia. And there's all these people, I run a Facebook group with about 3000 Australian businesses called the Australian Business Collaborative. And there's a few people in there like kind of like wearing it as a badge of honor, like, oh, I've worked 18 hour days, and I haven't had a long weekend. And you know, I kind of feel sorry for those people. So I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. everyone else is out enjoying the sunshine. You have just spent 18 hours do you mean sitting at a desk, which means you're probably not eating really well. You're not getting any exercise. Again, you're not getting out in the, the sunshine. Um, you're probably not sleeping really well either because if you're working for 18 hours, you know, really sleeping, what, you've got six hours to sleep, um, you know, things like that. So I do worry about people. And, and when I see those type of comments, I won't, I'll, I'll challenge them to the point going like, you know, well, what did you do for yourself? Because I don't know, I think people are getting lost in this level of success, but it's actually counterproductive. You don't have to work those long hours to be, do you mean to be successful? Yeah, and that sort of brings us on to the, the next topic that I really wanted to, to start 
talking about, which should be parenting as well. Because if you've got a family, if you've if you've got you know the, the actual responsibilities and the the different people pulling at you all the time, or they could be little people. You know, you could have kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's almost like you're you're instantly have to prioritize like your family. You've instantly got things that need to happen every single day. You've instantly got things that can change last minute, and you've got to adapt. And I know a lot of parents that have businesses, and some that even have jobs and businesses and kids. And it's like, well, the you're already working hard that like you've already ticked that box off because you've got family, you've got friends, you've got work, you've got your business and all those sorts of things. But if like, you can't, as you say, you have got a limit. You have got that, that state of mind where you go, you know, I, I just can't do anymore. Otherwise I don't recover for tomorrow to do it again. And then the, the fatigue carries over, right? It's almost like overtraining for your mind, so to speak. So how, how have you balanced, parenting with having a business or even a job in a business as well and then how what sort of strategies you get as um specific and as granular as, as you like Angela you can go as far as you want what what do you do to cope with that yeah so again I think we we giggled earlier on about when you you know our OCD and getting people's names right so when we're <laughs> introducing them on the podcast you know and one of the thing is I guess I'm probably very OCD in that when I was working my full-time job I was up at around five to get the kids their breakfast or get them out the door for daycare I was on the road by 6 30 and then at my primary job by 7 30 I left there at four o'clock to get home by 4 30 and then so from 4 30 until 7 30 my phone wasn't on, my computer wasn't on, my laptop wasn't on. That was strictly my time with my kids and my husband. Now, my husband's a fisherman by trade, so he goes to bed quite early anyways. So I guess I was fortunate from an entrepreneur point of view that when they were in bed from 7.30, I could then work from 7.30 to 10.30, just doing whatever I needed to do for the business. However, I learned very quickly that um, about weekends. And so come Friday afternoon, my computer didn't get turned on again until Sunday night. And it was Sunday night after the kids were in bed and I would just kind of do a quick email checkup, you know, blog posts, etc. Um, but I think establishing early on those weekend boundaries and making sure that I had time for my kids is definitely what set the scene for my relationships to continue to build with them, continuing to see family and friends, getting outside. I think I would have fallen into a kind of a death trap if I hadn't set those boundaries up earlier on. So it's almost like you've, you've engineered the, the way that your your life is and your priorities, maybe even like time, as you mentioned, like the early time was with your family before you even turned anything on business-wise. So it's, it seems like you've had to be quite rigid with that. Yeah, exceptionally rigid, you know, like as if not, you know, when I started Finley and Me, I, I always, there's a, a, one of our biggest, I guess, phone companies is Telstra in Australia. And Telstra doesn't wake up in the morning and go, sorry, I can't get your parcel out because my kid's sick. They don't do that. So I, I had the mentality that I never wanted my kids or family to get in the way or to be used as an excuse for my business. I always wanted to think, what would a CEO of the most biggest company in Australia say? They would never use that as an excuse. Um, so I guess I've, again, always had that mind space around to set the boundaries, do what you need to do and execute them accordingly. So I guess I have been very rigid, but again, it's worked for me and my family. I'm not saying that my method is going to work for everyone because every family is different and has different needs and obligations. Yeah, that, that, that sort of makes sense. I mean, was, was the blog a part of 
you trying to prioritise maybe or trying to set boundaries or maybe finding a way of managing everything at the same time? No, the blog I wouldn't say was that. My blog was more an additional way for me to humanize my brand and start connecting with my audience. My audience, even though they bought wooden toys or bibs for me, etc., those mums out there, they're more than just buying a wooden toy. So I would talk about depression and anxiety even before I had my own depression and anxiety. I would talk about, say, you know, uh, breastfeeding or bottle feeding. I, so I would talk about a whole variety of different topics that were relatable or what the struggles of my ideal audience was going through. And I would write my content around that to build those further connections. And then obviously, again, add value, add value, and then ask for the sale later on. So what have you learned building the, the blog up there? What have you, what, what have you learned over the, the journey of being a blogger? Because you, you, you are, we all start off with a blog with, with the best intentions, whether it be just to get our message out there, whether it be just to, to you know, it could just be more of a, a documentation thing. You know, this is what I did today. And I think, I think people do go in with the, the reasonable intention of just publishing content out there and, and maybe sharing it around so people can, can read it if they wanted to. But then things probably started to, to take off for you. When was that? Yep. So initially it was just, you know, writing a blog to connect with the audience, but it was always strategic. It, I, I surveyed my audience to see what they were struggling with. And once I identified what their struggles were, that was when I created the content. So I never assumed what people wanted me to write about. I always asked first. And because of that, I think that's why I was able to get as many views and readers that I, you know, and followers as I have. But again, my blog, I never wrote it from a personal point. It was always about strategy. So it was always about, you know, the main objectives, building trust, adding value, building authority. Um, also, you know, when you do a blog and you SEO optimize it accordingly, people are going to find you organically. And when people find you organically, there's a 30% higher chance that they're going to convert in a sale. So those are all the things that, again, my blog was always strategy. Within that, I would also have like a content upgrade. So if I had 2,000 people reading my blog and 10% of those people converted by giving me their email address and a content upgrade, so every one of my posts would have that. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, the blog was always strategy. Just for people that, that don't really know, I mean, I, I like the idea of, of not assuming and then asking for, for what, what they wanted to, to read, so then they're more likely to read it, right? And then if there's a strategy behind it, you know that there's like an element of the um, the next step after they've read the blog, so to speak, like there's, it's always built into some kind of strategy long-term or medium-term for the business. But what what would you describe a content upgrade as? Yep. So some of them, uh, so if I'm writing, let's say recipes, so, you know, I don't know, five best ways to have a hassle-free lunchbox, for example, on Finley and me, um, my content upgrade would be a printable about a hundred different snack ideas that you could have in your lunchbox. So a really cool printable that I just get my VA in the Philippines to design for me, but it's something that you would want to print off. So parents, hundreds and hundreds of parents will print this little, this one piece of paper off and they'll stick it on the refrigerator. So it's simple things like, you know, boiled eggs, salami sticks, you know, just little things so that if their brain is so busy as most often mother's brains are, you can look at that list and go, yep, I can do this, 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 and this. That's one example. Um, one of the other things I talked about was mental health and obviously uh, mothers. So one of my um, content upgrades was positive affirmations. So it was 50 different positive affirmations that they could cut out and you know, placed throughout their home. 
Um, another one I'm really big about kids being able to, to connect with nature. So one of my content upgrades was a scavenger hunt that they could print and the parents could take them out on the scavenger hunt. Um, I also created a 10 page um, healthy ebook recipes, snack recipe book for doing them. That's had like about 2,500 downloads um, over the last couple of years. So, yeah, so I always, again, I, I will try and find a content upgrade that is relatable to whatever I'm writing about. So if it's food, I'll give, like I said, the menu or the ebook. If it's about mental health, I'll do that. If it's about school holidays or boredom or activities, I'll give them the nature hike or the hundred, I think it's a hundred different activities to do with your kids during the school holidays. So those are types of content upgrades I do for Finley and me, but for Angela Henderson Consulting, I do upgrades like a um, hundred different ways to outsource different do you know I mean, projects for your business growth. And I list all those things and people can print that off or 30 different ways to avoid burnout. And they can, they can print that printable off um, uh, email or sales funnel, you know, how to create your sales funnel. And I've created like an eight page content upgrade for that. I've just created a 20 page content upgrade for um, content marketing. You know, what is content marketing? How to build your own content marketing strategy? Do you know what I mean? Et cetera. So yeah, so yeah, those are different examples of content marketing based across Finley and me and the Angela Henderson consulting side of things. I quite like the, the idea that it does, it does quite literally upgrade the content that you're giving them because the, um, the, the blog articles just written, I guess, but then when you've got, or written in, in picture maybe, but then you've got this idea of if you want something to take away, something that you can do in your own time, could be an activity, could be a principle, it could be whatever the case is, then it's, it's just a way of giving that little bit extra. So I quite like that. It seems like you've, you've been spending a lot of time on this in terms of growing it in terms of finding out new ways of maybe enhancing the blog or even just enhancing the, the experience as a whole so have you got anything else that you've learned over there at the time because the content upgrade is something that i'm probably going to use I, I think there'd be a lot of listeners that might be thinking the same thing but what other tips or strategies or little yeah just i, I guess it's it's coming from the back of okay you've been doing this for a while so what tips could you give us Yep. So I guess I have 11 kind of tips. So I guess it's kind of long, but I guess, you know, I always kind of say at the beginning before I get in my core tips is, you know, there's two key things to remember is that you're writing for your ideal client and to survey your audience, what their struggles are. Cause if you write for your ideal client, you're going to hook them in with that trust factor, um, the credibility and the authority. And again, you're solving a problem because whatever your audience says via the survey, you're going to solve the problem. So again, you're adding that authority there. I guess, you know, when we look at three different things to remember while you write your blog post is one, always try and tell a story. Just don't kind of blah on the, you know what I mean, on the article, like really bring some emotion into it, you know, link a story how you can add value or solve a problem. And again, you're writing for that ideal client. But if I think about what makes a blog post the most strongest is you really need a strong blog title because without a strong blog title, you're not even going to get people to click. The world we live in is so busy at the moment. And if people are sitting on their couch in their undies binge watching on Netflix, for example, and meanwhile they're scrolling through Facebook, you need to stand out. So you need a strong blog title that isn't clickbait. You still need it. You know, you don't want it just people to click and then they leave. It has to be worthy of them to click and that you're providing them what you say you are. 
Um, you also need to make sure that your blog article is keyword saturated. So what are your SEO keywords that you're trying to rank for? You know, so if it's like how to outsource, you know, for your small business, it could be outsourcing for small business. And I would blend that keyword throughout the article. Um, you know, another thing is, is on the back, like WordPress, for example, if you have Yoast, I say Yoast, some people say it differently than I do, but Yoast, um, you know, your SEO title should also include your keyword and should also be done correctly. And most people don't do these little tips that really help to rank you for Google and crawl you with Google. Um, your meta descriptors aren't completed and your meta descriptors are kind of that you know, that little gray bit where you get, I think, 180 characters to write in actually like what your blog is and why people should click through on that. Um, within your blog article, you have to have things like your H1 and H2 headings. Um, your images need to be really well done. They need to be saved correctly. So often I'll, I'll be looking at my business consulting blogs and I'll click on an image and I'll right click and they will have saved it to their desktop like image one, two, three, four, five, sunshine. Now, people don't go to Google to type in zero, one, two, three, four, five, sunshine, um, to find an image or to find something relatable, they might type in like outsourcing dash small dash business. So again, just, I know that I'm going through a lot, but you need to make sure that your images are, you know, mean sized correctly, that they're saved correctly on your desktop, you know, um, yeah, your content upgrades that you've got alt text. So yeah, there's like a lot of little things that people don't do in, you know, a bio at the end, you know, hi, I'm Angela Henderson. I'm an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and then internal links so that people are going to find out more information because you don't want them to leave the website. And I guess, but most importantly, despite all of those things, hon, is that I call it share the shit out of it is that people will write a blog post and then they think miraculously people are just going to find it. Well, it doesn't work that way. So I go, you know, share it on your Facebook page, share it in Facebook groups, do a Facebook live saying like, Hey, it's Angela here from Angela Henderson consulting. I've just gone live on 50 ways you can outsource your business for growth. Um, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au blog, right? So, you know, people consume information differently. So by doing it live, they're hearing it differently. They might take more action. Then share it on Instagram. Do an Instagram live. Do Insta stories. Share it in your newsletter. Pin it on Pinterest. But so many people are missing out on these small things, and therefore it's compromising the overall success of their blog. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's so much there that, um, that I think we might need to, to go over just for people that maybe want to start blogging, but they've, they've heard things that haven't really got a clue. So, Yep, totally. Absolutely. So, so I would the description would be like if someone was to search it, it would be the first couple of the lines to come up on a Google search. Have I got that right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of like your real estate. You only get again, don't quote me, it's not in front of me, but I think you only get like 180 characters. So you really want to make it juice, juicy and rich and clickable. Because if you just put, um, if you don't do a meta descriptor, naturally they will just pull the first two sentences from your opening paragraph which sometimes don't make sense because say your opening paragraph is like once upon a time I needed a VA to outsource. That's not really, do you know what I mean? Really click worthy where if you made your own meta description and it might be something like, are you struggling with keeping up with your business demands? Don't worry. Here's 50 ways to outsource to do you mean to grow your business. That's a little bit more worthy of people wanting to click on it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then H1 and H2 headings. Again, one of my assumptions is that that's just the, the formatting of the heading that, that you do it in the article. But how does that affect people's likelihood of clicking on the article? 
Yep. So it's not so much clicking, but when you're looking at an article, so often I see blog posts that have beautiful content, really rich content, but they don't have any headings to, um, for people to scan. Remember, we live in a busy world. So if you click on a blog article, that's a thousand words and there's no images to break up those words and there's no headings to break up those words, people become overwhelmed and leave your blog. So you need headings throughout you know, I mean, your blog that will talk about just exactly what that next kind of paragraph or that next introduction or segue is. So your H1, again, is important because you want to include that keyword. So if it was outsourcing for small business, we would put like um, introduction to outsourcing for small business. And then your H2, the next header down might be um, 50 ways to outsource. So it's just that if people are scanning your blog from top to bottom, they can look at those headers and they might not read the full article, but they might jump to one of those particular headings and just read that snippet. So yeah, so it's just about, yes, yeah, structure, but also continuity of how people are reading it. Right, so it's almost like you've got to make up for the fact that people have got less attention spans now with, the, with how, how easy it is to get content these days. Absolutely. You have to because their mind's going a million miles an hour. So if we confuse it more by not having headings and pictures, etc., they're just going to jump off. They don't ha we have to make the, the blog reading or however people are consuming information easily, the easiest way for people. The, the more difficult you make it, the less likely you are for them to stick around. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that sort of makes sense because uh, they're getting faster, aren't they? Like between um, Instagram stories being like reasonably quick changing now and everything else, people, I mean, I've even noticed it myself, like I'm struggling to, to read books as much as I used to and I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to like wait for things as well. Like if, if something takes too long, I'm like, oh, come on, let's speed it up. Like the, the amount of times that I've... 100%. So it's, yeah, it's definitely something that's happening more and more often as opposed to less and less. And yeah, as, as blogs used to be like essays and they used to be like really, really long. I mean, I, I've been guilty of writing like easily over a thousand words on, on a blog article. And then I've had, to, I've had to go back and break it up into little chunks with headings and, and little questions and quotes halfway through and the odd picture here and there, just because it keeps people engaged. It keeps people staying on it without just going off it because it's, it's easier than ever now to just click off something and then look at something else uh-huh you, you've nailed it 100 percent. so if someone wanted to to get in touch with you so we're reasonably close to the end if someone wants to get in touch with you where can people go to find out more uh, yep, so they can head to my website, which is www.angelahenderson.com.au, or they're more than happy to join, you know, 3,000 other members on our Facebook group, which is the Australian Business Collaborative, where, the, you know, where I'm doing lives, people are sharing advice, asking for advice, etc. Um, yeah, th those would be the two primary spots that people would be able to have an opportunity to find me or connect with me. All right, sound good. Well, just before we, we get to the, the last question or two, what information do you think that we are missing when it comes to parenting or blogging or, or taking the, the leap to start your business? Because we've covered a lot, but there's probably things that we've missed or things that we've skimmed over that we probably would want to talk a little bit more about. What do you think that is missing that we could talk about? I would say collectively, whether or not it's parenting or whether or not it's your business, is something that once I hit, was hit with the depression and anxiety, 
you know, again, we say yes to so much. So one of the things I always ask myself is for every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. So just a way, a really quick check-in to make sure that I'm not overtaking or overcommitting. Again, whether or not that's, you know, on a blog or whatever is, you know, yeah, creating that boundary, you know. So if I'm saying yes to another sponsored post, what am I saying no to? Is that another client? If I'm saying yes to taking on another client, am I going to miss my kid's dance concert? And is that really what I wanted when I created the business? So one of the things that I always live by every single day is for every time I say yes, what am I, what am I saying no to? And then I'll answer that question before I give someone a definite answer. I quite like that. Yeah, I like that as a, a question as well, what am I saying no to? Because, yeah, we do get into this habit of saying yes to everything because when you're starting out, you probably don't have the luxury of opportunities. So you've got to say yes to everyone that comes your way because then, you know, you might not get it again. You might not get the opportunity again. So you're going to say, yeah, but as you say, you're going to get to a point when you're going to have to start filtering things out because you are saying no to something every time you say yes to something. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we've only got so much time, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like one of my, my boundaries that I do mean encourage everyone, do you mean to, to, to be doing in business life or not? You know, I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, what books or resources would you recommend for us? These can be parenting, these can be blogging. What 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 do you recommend in terms of resources? It can be books or apps or, or things like that. Yeah, so um, I love the book The Purple Cow by Seth um, Godin. That, uh, Godin, sorry, I should say. Um, again, speaking of names, again, a great book I've just finished reading uh, on my flight back from Canada. You know, talking about transforming your business by being remarkable in different ways that you really need to push yourself to not just be. Do you mean a regular brown cow in a paddock? How can you be that purple cow? How can you stand out? And what are you going to do for your business? So that's one of my reads that I've just read over the last couple of weeks. And my other one, who um, I love dearly, do you know what I mean? Is Chris Ducker, Rise of the uh, Youthpreneur. Um, a great book, pretty much all you need to know, to know about personal branding. So again, another book that I've just finished up reading. Um, yeah, those are kind of my two favorites at the moment. All right. Last question for you then, Angela. We are at the point where this is the question I ask everybody and we've had all kinds of questions, everything from funny to serious to things that are quite frankly off topic compared to everything that we've spoken about. And that question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? What would they like to know about me that they don't already know? Hmm. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Uh, so again, I always say, you, know, they all, you can always go, you know, it's a good podcast when someone says good question, you know, so it is a good question. What would they not already know? That again, I'm not in, I don't think a lot of, I think people have an assumption that I'm here to become a millionaire, which I am here to become a millionaire, but I'm not here to become a millionaire to drive planes and Mercedes and be dripping in jewels. If you sell me, which you could probably see me now, I'm in a hoodie with fluffy socks because it's cold here in Australia. All right. So um, I'm here because I want to help the, you know, help change things. And what people probably don't realize is that my millionaire dream is to be able to help build schools, help with literacy and help with mental health. So it's not something that um, I talk like a lot about because I think people have a bit of a mental block about saying they want to be a millionaire, but it's something that I'm working on so yeah what you probably don't know is yes i do want to be a millionaire but my reasons are to do mean to be able to give back to communities sounds good angel well thanks for being a guest on the show i appreciate you carving out the time and i'm sure we'll keep in touch no worries you have an awesome night thanks so much michael